I'm Paige Waterhouse. And I'm Nabil Raza. From the Cavalier Daily, this is On Record. So Paige, big news out of Virginia this month. Yes, Nabil. Elections were earlier this month. Did you vote? I did for the first time ever. Congratulations. I voted absentee um, in my hometown because I knew the candidates and I wanted to vote at least once there. Um, and it was really cool being able to vote for the first time. I've been thinking about it for a long time. That's awesome. I'm proud of you for being politically active. Elections for the Virginia State Senate and House of Delegates, as well as many important local offices, occurred on Tuesday, November 5th. The importance of this election had been emphasized since students got back to grounds this fall. Voter registration efforts started before classes even started. I know. I had more people asking me if I wanted to register to vote than helping me with class registration. The Cavalier Daily has reported on student get-out-the-vote efforts, like tabling and free rides to the polls. Virginia elections are watched closely in off years, like 2019. Analysts of voters have, especially in recent years, turned to political trends in Virginia as a litmus test for the national political climate. This election was particularly important as it seemed that for the first time in almost 25 years that Democrats would take control of both houses of the Virginia legislature. Millions of dollars from out-of-state donors were poured into certain races, and some races garnered national attention, like that for House District 28, where member-elect Joshua Cole attracted an endorsement from former President Barack Obama. After the highly contested election, Democrats won majorities in both the House of Delegates and the State Senate, flipping both houses from Republican control. Additionally, in the Charlottesville community, Jim Hingley won the race for Commonwealth Attorney, defeating Republican incumbent Robert Tracy, who failed to prosecute Jason Kessler for perjury. Kessler was an organizer of the Unite the Right rally in August 2017. Democrats also swept the Charlottesville City Council elections, winning all three seats that were up for grabs, with all of those elected pledging to remove Confederate monuments if given state authority. Voting statistics showed that turnout increased by 400% at the on-grounds voting location, Slaughter Rec Center, from 2015, the last year when similar offices were up for election. On November 9th, the newly elected Democratic majority selected Eileen Filler-Korn as Speaker of the House of Delegates. Filler-Korn will be the first woman and first Jewish American to ever serve in the Speaker position. In a statement posted to Twitter, Filler-Korn said, quote, the first are not lost on me, but they do not define me, end quote. In the same statement, Filler Korn also noted that the newly elected members are the, quote, most diverse House caucus in history, which includes cultural, gender, and geographic diversity, end quote. This diversity, as well as the Democratic majority in both houses for the first time in decades, allows the legislative priorities of Democrats to move to the top of the agenda, including gun safety legislation. According to CNN, following the election, State Senate Democratic leader Dick Sawslaw told a crowd in Richmond, quote, one thing we are going to need to do right away is pass the Equal Rights Amendment in Virginia, end quote. The Equal Rights Amendment is an amendment to the U.S. Constitution that guarantees equal rights regardless of sex. It passed Congress on a bipartisan basis in 1972. The Constitution requires that the amendment be ratified in 38 states in order to become part of the Constitution. Virginia would be the 38th required state to ratify if the amendment is passed in the General Assembly. In addition to the ERA, the possibility of repealing the Dillon Rule in Virginia is on the table. The Dillon Rule is a doctrine followed by several states that allows local governments to derive all power from the state government. In several instances, this has prevented localities from removing landmarks celebrating Confederate history, even when the removal is supported by the municipal government. 
Locally, repealing the Dillon Rule in Virginia would allow the Charlottesville City Council to honor their promise of removing Confederate statues without having to first get approval from the General Assembly. The results of this election will have a large impact on the university community, as we will see it affecting life in Charlottesville for both residents and students alike. In order to learn more about campaign efforts around grounds this election season, we talked to representatives from both the college Republicans and the university Democrats. First up, we have Cameron Cox. Cox is a third year in the Batten School of Public Policy and Leadership. He is the Vice Chair of Campaigns and Advocacy for College Republicans. Hi, Cameron. Could you tell us a little bit more about your role in the CRs? So my main job is coordinating all of our campaign efforts, and then also we do other political advocacy things. Like, for instance, we'll go up to the Richmond Capitol and we'll lobby one day. Other things that have to do with politics and campaigns, so anything in that realm is my responsibility for the CRs. Um, So we just went through an election cycle, and I was just wondering um, if you could provide some insight into um, some of the efforts that college Republicans did during the 2019 general, if you guys did any voter registration or anything like that, campaigning, et cetera. Yeah, so we definitely did do some voter registration. Uh, We had multiple different members staying out there, not necessarily with CRs, but just to get people registered in general because that's something good to do. We didn't have massive voter registration drives because, unfortunately, we had no Republicans on the tickets in Charlottesville. So actually staying at home and um, being registered to vote in your hometown probably produced a more likely chance that you're able to vote for a Republican. But nonetheless, what's more important is that people are voting. So, yes, we did have uh, some voter registration drives. But the main thing we did is just campaigning remotely for races statewide. And we did that mainly in the forms of calls and texts. I was very proud of our group of CRs this year. We actually had 34 different individuals uh, volunteer at one point. We made about 44,000 text messages. We made about 14,000 phone calls. And we knocked nearly 3,000 doors. So I was very proud of the hard work that our group put in. What was difficult though is, as I said, there was no Republicans on the ballot here in Charlottesville. So if we wanted to go and campaign for Republicans, which is our job, we actually had to travel across the state a bit. So we made a trip down to the Tidewater area, Hampton Roads, Virginia Beach, to knock doors for uh, Delegate Chris Stolle and Jen Kiggins, newly elected senator. Uh, We made a trip to the Henrico area multiple times to do uh, some doors for Mary Margaret Castleberg, Gay Donna Vandergriff, Glenn Sturdivant, Shiavon Donovan, Roxanne Robinson, Kirk Cox. Uh, we were pretty much all over the state. I think we helped out about 17 different races, and two or three of them ended up being nail biters. So our efforts definitely might have put Republicans over the edge in a couple of those. The slaughter polling location had a 400% increase in voters this cycle. Do you Um, have any idea why this happened Um, and how can we continue this upward trend? Yeah, so I think uh, that's a great point. I think another reason, though, you see a 400% increase in voting is, for the most part, just the Trump presidency has made politics such an in-your-face thing. We see this also with the increase uh, in the prevalence of social media and politics now. Everybody, whether they really know a ton of details, knows what's going on about politics. And a lot more people you see, especially young people, care about politics. 
Um, so in the most recent election, Democrats took control of both the um, House of Delegates and the state Senate, um, which I would guess is not the outcome that um, your organization was really hoping for. What do you think that the Republican Party did wrong? Um, do you think that this is demonstrative of national trends? And what do you think that if Republicans want to get elected in the future, what do they need to change? Yeah, so um, it's a funny question because that's I've been asked that a few times. It's not like I'm popular, but still people know I'm a Republican and ask, you know, why did Republicans lose what did we do wrong and I really think that we ran a lot of great campaigns we ran a lot of great candidates uh, for instance uh, you know we're often often labeled as the party of the white male and we really trended away from that in our competitive districts this year we think that it definitely does help seeing these other people run in races and especially when uh, your district reflects your representative I think that's very helpful and we did a good job of recruiting some great candidates we ran great campaigns they knocked a ton of doors they reached out to a ton of voters worked really hard and I think their messaging was actually pretty good but at the end of the day I think it wasn't Republicans lost I think it was Democrats won I think we ran great races I think we did a lot of things right but I think there's just a, almost a perfect storm of factors that just didn't really work in Republicans' favor this year. So in the close races that Republicans did win, do you think that was partially because of them trying to distance themselves from the presidency? Or do you think that there was just other factors going on? Yeah, so in terms of the close races that we won, I would say the ones for the House of Delegates that are the most prominent is Glenn Davis out in Virginia Beach had a really close race. And in terms of distancing himself from Trump, I would say 100%. He actually, I think, ran a mailer at one point that was linking his Democrat opponent to Trump in terms of lying. So he really did distance himself. He actually put forth a couple of pieces of gun control legislation. So just trying to really appeal to the moderate voters, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. I think that it, it can unfortunately lose you your main Republican base. But it worked for him, and if it worked and got him elected, that's one thing, and that that's fine. Uh, you also see there's a close race, Kirk Cox in the 66th district. And I would say, and Roxanne Robinson as well uh, in the 27th. They were incumbents in districts that weren't favorable to them. The uh, 66th district was actually a 47% Republican district. But the thing is, that was about the only race that we overcame, the fact that it was um, – a Democrat district. So I think where they won was the fact that they're incumbents, they've done a lot for their community, and those are the only really two races in the House of Delegates I would say that you could refer to and say politics is local still. You have plenty of people that are Democrats or don't care about politics, and they're like, hey, Kirk Cox or Axel Robinson has helped to make my life better, politics aside. So I definitely think that the 2019 Virginia uh, House and Senate, the General Assembly elections, I think they definitely reflect that we're seeing a, a, a bluer wave uh, wash across America. But that's just for the time being. I don't even bother predicting the 2020 election because uh, myself and so many others were just completely wrong trying to predict it in 2016. But what I do think is it's showing that Virginia is very blue, maybe for the time being, but I would put that Virginia itself for the 2020 election is a likely blue state. Uh, Larry Sabato's crystal ball just moved it from a leans blue to a likely blue. And I don't think that's changing anytime soon. So um, speaking more generally about university policy, right now the university does hold classes on election day. Do you think that should change? Yeah, see, so I think that you can do this in a couple different ways. You can outright get rid of class on election day, which allows people to go and vote. But then here's the thing. I'm just playing devil's advocate. The second you do that and then somebody doesn't go and vote, so the person who was against the policy say, hey, you canceled these classes for no reason. It's not like these kids are going to vote anyways. Then you can also say that, you know, we're going to get rid of classes in certain windows where kids can go and vote. And I see nothing wrong with 
increasing everybody's opportunities to go and vote. I think that that's one thing our country and state can really benefit from is more people voting. But like like I said earlier with my other point about getting people to go vote, if the university is going to do something like that, I would really appreciate if they simultaneously did something in a very nonpartisan and non-biased manner to just inform people about what's going to be on their ballot. And then if you're also going to do where uh, some sort of university policy where we're getting rid of classes on election day, the point obviously is for kids to go vote. So if we're going to do that, we need to make sure that even the university is involved in trying to get kids to register to vote. Because if we're going to cancel class for people to vote, everybody needs to be registered and everybody needs to vote nonetheless. I appreciate you having me on the show. We now have Virginia Chambers, a fourth year in the college. She is the campaign chair for the University Democrats. All right, so we'll just start off. Um, so the University Democrats was obviously very involved um, with student efforts in the 2019 general election. Can you speak about some of the various campaigns and voter drives, et cetera, that you guys did? Certainly. So starting off right at Move-In Weekend, we partnered with UVA Student Council, as well as the college Republicans here, to do a major voter registration drive while people were moving into their dorms. Um, and then we, UDEMS, continued that through the voter registration deadline on October 15th. Um, after that, we switched to fully partisan activities. So our voter registration had been nonpartisan, and we had been doing some phone banking as well. And after October 15th, we continued with phone banking as well as canvassing for Democrats, and then really ramped it up for that last weekend before the election, doing get-out-the-vote efforts across the Commonwealth. Do you have any idea how many voters you registered? Yes. Yeah, so altogether, we registered over 1,000 voters here on grounds. So why do you think voter student voter turnout increased so much this year? I think because A, more people were registered to vote, and B, I do think that there has been a realization, especially in the past few years when President Trump has been in office, that elections do matter and individual votes can make a difference. Especially this year when we were able to look back on 2017 and talk about um, Shelley Simon's very disappointing loss via literally the drawing of a decision out of a bowl um, and say, look, one vote on either side would have flipped the election then and also would have led to a power sharing agreement in Richmond. So I think in the past few years, it's been all the more clear to everyone, students included, just how important elections are, the fact that they have consequences and the fact that we all need to get out and vote. So obviously the election went how the University Democrats would have liked it as far as power in the Virginia legislature. What do you think Democrats did right during this election, and how do you think that can translate into other elections? I think something that Democrats did really well was capitalizing on momentum from 2018. Um, I think in the past, there has been capitalizing on momentum to various degrees, but this year there was really an effort to talk about the big wave of 2018 to say, we're going to bring that wave back home to the Commonwealth. Um, I think also running on issues that really affect people and talking about those things that are just fundamental to how individuals live their lives. Thinking about how many people, especially in the western part of the state, talked about broadband access was important. Um, talking about health care 
coverage as well as kind of the economic standpoint in addition to social issues, I think is really something that Democrats can continue doing in the future to great success. I think it showed that Democrats are more in touch with the needs of the electorate in Virginia. And I think continuing to keep a finger on the pulse and talk about what voters really really want to hear about and what changes need to be made for their individual lives will continue to be promising for Democrats. I think just we are so excited about this year's increased turnout numbers, um, especially at the Slaughter Precinct as well as the Venable Precinct. And we should note that these numbers are fantastic and we're also seeing rises in turnout across the Commonwealth. So we are Hopeful that this is because of special efforts of university Democrats, college Republicans, and student council, but we're also excited to kind of be in this new wave of increased voter turnout, increased voter uh, knowledge, and just an increase in knowing and caring about elections, especially on these off-off years. So what implications do you feel that this election has for future elections? I think something that Democrats did pretty well this year was trying to build up benches and building up excitement and grassroots support. So thinking about how Democrats across the Commonwealth really engaged with communities early on and continue to strengthen their organizing might there is great for 2020 and beyond because there are volunteers who had never volunteered before who were all of a sudden knocking packets worth of doors every single weekend or who were launching campaigns from their houses or getting involved and getting their kids out to do work as well. So I think there is a lot more enthusiasm and also just more experience now, not just among organizers, but among grassroots activists. I think also making sure that we are running people in every possible district is something that there was really a new emphasis on this year and can continue in the future. We're talking about candidates for delegates, especially in the western and southwestern part of the state, who were putting up Democratic challenges in races where there hadn't been Democrats running for you know four or eight years in multiple cycles and making sure that we're getting the Democratic name and brand out there to those portions of the state and providing options for Democrats who and other people who would vote blue is really important. It also helps build up the party infrastructure in those parts of the state. So I think the both of those things can be built on and we're working off a pretty decent foundation from here on out. So currently, the university does hold classes on Election Day. Do you believe that policy should change? I understand why classes are held on Election Day. I would love to see, at least as a first step, all professors offering an excused absence for voting-related absences or forget out the vote efforts. I've had a few professors who have done the same, and it's really nice to know that if I feel like it's if I feel that I should be working at the polls or making doing voter protection, that that is something that is supported and encouraged by my professors. I would say that the first step needs to be requiring no professors to hold exams on election day, because I know in the past that has been a real barrier to some students getting out to vote, to some students feeling that they can make an informed decision when they also have or when they have a test that could be 20, 30, 40 percent of their grade on the line. Uh, so I completely understand that. In terms of classes, I I think a pie in the sky view would be fantastic to not have classes on election day. Um, I understand why there would be reticence on the part of the faculty and the administration. All right. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one. On Record is written by Jackson Postal, Peyton Guthrie, Will Bird, and Abigail Quinn. The show is produced by Grace Blue Hardy, Lydia Wilcox, and Sarah Dunkley. Our editor is Abby Klukey. 
I'm Daniel Reza. And I'm Paige Waterhouse. This has been On Record.